back to the show, The Video Insiders, with Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Right. Well, by default, our codec implementations are optimized for subjective quality. And if you're then comparing two implementations and they're optimized for subjective quality, or one is optimized for subjective quality, and let's say the other is optimized for PSNR, and you're using PSNR to make your decision, you may choose the encoder that is optimized for PSNR when, in fact, it doesn't produce the best subjective quality. The consumers of your video service are not viewing PSNR scores, they're viewing video, and they're <laughs> determining whether that's good video or not subjectively. What people don't fully appreciate is that uh, even though we have these flags, really every little decision inside the encoder, every little parameter and algorithm, there are all sorts of um, constants that are used inside those algorithms to tune them and balance them and, and optimize them. Dozens and dozens of algorithms all working together inside the video encoder and many, many knobs and dials that need to be turned. And we could either optimize that combination of parameters for one thing or for another thing. And we choose to optimize for subjective video quality because it it's what really counts. It's what really matters. The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video. As seen through the eyes of a second generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Video Insiders podcast. Here we are again. I'm uh, Dror Gill from Beamer, and with me is... Mark Donegan. Hey, Dror. How's it going? Hey, uh, it's going great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I can't wait to talk about how to compare video. There's so many different approaches and yeah, really excited. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be awesome. The problem when you get to, uh, to be an expert in video and all the day you're compressing video and viewing video and tuning and tweaking parameters... At the end of the day, you know, evening, you want to kind of lay back and watch TV. And, and you're watching the TV, you're watching the program, but actually, the only thing you are noticing is all the artifacts. <laughs> That's right? so true, isn't it? <laughs> isn't like, it? Hey. It's like, <laughs> here's a block here, and then some texture is smeared there, and look at that motion out the back. <laughs> look then, at that uh, banding. I can't believe they let that go out. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. <laughs> And then, you know, you just want to enjoy some, you know, some fun show or, you know, like a romantic comedy or whatever, but, you know, your eyes, you know, just can't get out of it. Boy, it's, 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 it's a sure a way to annoy your, your friends and family, you know, it's like, just watch the movie. Yeah. yeah video, video quality. I think it's the most important aspect of your video, of course, is the quality, the way it looks. And, uh, when you, um, evaluate the video workflow that you're using. Eventually, you want to give the best experience possible to your viewers. They want to see the best quality video. And uh, this is also a, a competitive uh, feature of your service. That's right. Yeah, video quality is... Uh is is so essential and you know i'm really happy that with these amazing devices that consumers are carrying around in their pockets you think of you know i just recently got the new iphone xs and wow i mean it's just it, it's just incredible and people are coming to expect 
a level of service delivery, meaning that the video that, you know, their service is streaming to the device, that it's it matches the capabilities of the screen. And I think even though the average person, of course, has no idea what a, you know, what um, some of the artifacts uh, are that they might be seeing, but they certainly react to them. And uh, so it is just more important than ever that video services really pay attention to quality. And, and most are. In fact, I'd say really everyone is, is very interested on the topic, which is why I'm super excited to announce our guest. Hello, Mark. Hey, Tom Vaughn. Tom Vaughn. I can't believe it. Tom <laughs> Vaughn. The Tom Vaughn in the house. Great to be Tom back. Vaughn is in the house. I would say, and I hope I don't embarrass you, Tom, that uh, you are one of the world's top experts on uh, video compression. And uh, we're, we're very excited to have you, not only in our podcast, but also in our company at Beamer. You've done wonders. And uh, we're really excited to talk to you today about uh, how do you really evaluate the quality of video? Thank you, Jory. You know, this is a topic I'm uh, passionate about and I've spent a lot of time uh, working on and thinking about. Yeah, you know, Tom, I remember, I, I think it was, uh, you know what, maybe a year and a half ago or so that you wrote a blog post about how basically it was an objective versus subjective, you know, a discussion of using objective approach versus a subjective approach to to comparing, you know, video codecs and and um, at the time, we were competitors. You were driving the open source project and uh, X265 specifically. But that was one that we all read, I know, inside Beamer. And we agreed 100% with uh, what you were saying. So, uh, yeah, yeah it's definitely. A, it's a topic that in our business comes up all the time that uh, our prospective customers or existing customers are trying to choose between different uh, encoder implementations to uh, build their business around or trying to tune their encoding settings and recipes. And so how do you go about that? There are many people who go about it the wrong way and then therefore reach the wrong conclusions and, and aren't getting the right result. And so we have to try to help them and educate them. Why do you think that is? You know, I want to start the conversation there because, yeah, why is that? You know, these are experts in, in a lot of cases that, that, are, that are coming up with the wrong conclusions and, you know, using the wrong techniques. Well, why is that? I think some things seem as if they're obvious and you have to dig deeper to really understand how video encoders are working. And coming from the perspective of a video encoder developer, we have a, a different perspective than people who just run the video encoder and, and, and utilize it in, in their product or service. So some things just seem simple enough, and, and therefore I go about it in this simple, straightforward way, but I, I don't realize um, you know, some key points that uh, would uh, help me make the right decision. The issue is uh, that, um, let, let's start with this, uh, video quality is subjective. What I think is good video, somebody else might think is bad and vice versa. Usually the opposite. I, I would say something doesn't look good, but if you're not a video expert, you would notice all of those artifacts and you think it does look good. So if you start with the fact that uh, video quality is subjective, then you reach the conclusion that the only way 
to test video quality or to measure it is by showing your video to people and asking them what they think about it. And uh, this method is called subjective video testing and the particular quantification of uh, the subjective video quality is MOS. MOS is uh, MOS, that's mean, mean Opinion Score, where you let people rate your video on a scale from uh, one to five, and then you average uh, the ratings of the different people, and then uh, you get a subjective rating for your video. The problem with this process is that it's very time-consuming. Uh, you need equipment. It's You need logistics. You need to gather all of those people. And uh, that's why most uh, companies will try to use the easy path, go with the easy way of measuring video. And the easy way is the other type of uh, video quality, which are objective metrics. With objective metrics, you just calculate a certain type of uh, difference or filter on your video. It's a mathematical formula that is applied to the pixel values and tells you, when you compare two videos, how far they are from each other uh, mathematically. Yeah, it gives you a score, gives you a number. And, and that's it, George, that uh, you know, engineers are usually the people involved in this. They're data-driven. They like the straightforward methodology of saying, I will design a test, I will run a test, I will get the measurements, and I will let the data drive my decision. That all seems very logical, right? Right. It's all logical. It all makes sense. The only thing is that these objective formulas or fixed algorithms cannot really imitate in full the way that we actually perceive video or perceive images. That's right. They, they don't correlate. The scores don't correlate with what a human would perceive and, and give a grade to the relative quality of one encode versus another encode or the relative quality difference between the source and the encode. Older, simpler objective quality metrics like PSNR and SSIM in particular don't correlate strongly with human scores at all. And at the end of the day, it's what humans will think of my video that really matters. And right. those objective scores are all an abstraction one degree away from what really matters. So yeah, it is, it's an ongoing challenge. But is there, is there an appropriate place to use an objective quality scoring? Sure. Technique? There are plenty of places. I mean, the, the clear advantage of objective metrics is that I don't need to spend a ton of man hours of time putting humans in front of video doing those ratings. I don't need a, an elaborate setup. I just run some software and, and let the software do the math. So I can do that at, at scale. I can have much greater coverage for my testing, more source clips, right? More source sequences for longer periods of time at uh, all different kinds of bit rates or quality levels, et cetera, et cetera. All different um, picture resolutions, right? The same video at 4K, at 1080p, at 720p, et cetera. Or I'm thinking, you know, if, if you're an MSO and, and you're delivering 4,000 concurrent streams and you oh, need yeah. some way, For you know, mind to mind. at scale exactly determine if there's, you know, degradation happening, then of course it makes sense. But the point in asking the question is that 
there is a place for objective measures, but I, I think you know where this discussion is you know going to get to, and and what we should spend some time talking about is in the context of video encoder evaluation. So you know, Tom, I I, I would love for you to um, talk through like what is an appropriate methodology or framework that someone should should use if when they are analyzing encoders or trying to make codec choices maybe you can walk the listeners through that you know what it would look like some of the tools that maybe are available that sure. they can use sure as you said the when we talk about comparing video quality and measuring video quality there are these different use cases and monitoring of quality at scale is one use case. I've already got a production environment, a a set of systems that are running and I'm running a video service at scale. That's one use case. Objective metrics are essential for that. Evaluating between two different implementations of a particular video encoder is another use case entirely. And in my opinion, objective metrics shouldn't be used at all. I think they will mislead you. We don't use objective metrics in building our encoder. There was a time many years ago when video encoder developers used objective metrics to figure out how to make improvements in the compression efficiency of their encoder. But what will happen is if you, you know, what gets measured gets improved. It's an old saying in the world of quality. That's right. That's true. And, so if you're measuring using PSNR or SSIM or even a more advanced metric like VMAF, you will optimize for that objective metrics metric, and over time you will produce a more optimal score for that metric. But because that metric doesn't correlate perfectly under all conditions, not just overall on average for a video title, but every single frame and every single spatial reason, region of every single frame, it doesn't correlate strongly enough with what a human would say. And so it's an abstraction. It's, it's one degree removed from what you're really trying to optimize for. Right. So when you're using these measures to compare video quality, then um, actually, and, and when if you would optimize a, a video codec for these uh, metrics, it wouldn't be optimized for great subjective uh, video quality. possible subjective quality. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think the, the way that, that codec developers deal with this fact, you know, it's it's also an issue with any any product that goes through benchmarking. Do you optimize for the benchmark or do you optimize it for the best usage of your customers? So what the video codec developers, what we do in other companies, we have a flag or we have settings in, in, the, in the video encoder that says, okay, if you're measuring PSNR, use this flag. This will give you the best PSNR. If you're measuring SSIM, use this flag. It will give you the best SSIM. If you measure VMAF, use the optimized VMAF flag. But if you want to optimize for visual quality, which is what you should do in production where you're actually deploying the codec, then use the the default flag or the psychovisual optimization flag. And this will ensure that you will get the best video quality. And when you use this setting, don't look at the objective measures because they're meaningless and we're not optimizing for them. We're optimizing for your best user experience. Right. Well, by default, our codec implementations are optimized for subjective quality. And if you're then comparing two implementations and 
they're optimized for subjective quality or one is optimized for subjective quality and let's say the other is optimized for PSNR and you're using PSNR to make your decision, you may choose the encoder that is optimized for PSNR when in fact it doesn't produce the best subjective quality. And the consumers of your video service are not viewing PSNR scores, they're viewing video and they're <laughs> determining whether that's good video or not subjectively. What people don't fully appreciate is that uh, even though we have these flags, really every little decision inside the encoder, every little parameter and algorithm, there are all sorts of um, constants that are used inside those algorithms to tune them and balance them and, and optimize them. Dozens and dozens of algorithms all working together inside the video encoder and many, many knobs and dials that need to be turned. And we could either optimize that combination of parameters for one thing or for another thing. And we choose to optimize for subjective video quality because it, it's what really counts. It's what really matters. We could get a very different result and we could get much higher PSNR, SSIM, VMAF scores if we chose to optimize for those forms of measurement. So we deliberately hurt our PSNR, SSIM, VMAF scores every single day and every little decision we make. It's not just the settings that are exposed to end users in terms of the parameters you can feed the encoder, but it's many, many other settings internal to the encoder that are never exposed to users of the codec and many decisions that were made in, in, in determining the optimal values for those settings years before that uh, we have to make a choice as, as codec developers how to do it, and we choose to optimize for subjective quality. So then if you do make a comparison and you look at the video, you will see, ah, this video is better. And that's really how you should make that choice. And there are several tools that can help you evaluate the subjective quality of video and help you view the video and uh, compare different settings of your video. Sure. There's standard, uh, industry standard methods that are actually outlined in industry specifications like ITU recommendation BT500, ITU recommendation P910, and they go into great detail about how to set up a viewing environment and how to make sure the displays are calibrated and the lighting level in the room and the, the distance from the display is, is optimal and your subjects have been uh, coached in the right way the scoring and, and uh, analysis method you use uh, after the fact. If you're doing a rigorous academic study and you're going to publish a paper or, or if you really want to uh, go to the nth degree, that, that's the way to do it. That's very costly and time-consuming. For day-to-day -day operations to understand what is making the best video quality, how do I tune things up, how do I develop a better recipe, how is my encoder behaving, you don't have to go to those lengths and spend that kind of time and, and money and actually, we, we've produced a tool at Beamer called Beamer View. It was formerly known as Visual Comparison Tool when it was developed by uh, the company that Beamer bought, Vanguard Video. And uh, Beamer View is, uh, in my opinion, unbiased opinion, the best tool for subjectively evaluating video on a PC or a Mac. It's a frame-synchronized video player that can play back two copies of the same video that could be the source and the encode or two encodes that I'm comparing together 
so whether I'm evaluating two encoder implementations or I'm evaluating different options for my encoding recipe, I can very quickly and easily get a good feel for which is better and where it is better and why and how. Right. And, and we don't like to you know, advertise Beamer products or even talk about Beamer products in this podcast. But the nice thing about Beamer View is that it is completely free. It's free. And Absolutely. It's free and, and anybody can download it and use it. And it's a great tool. And actually, I've been using it even before we acquired Vanguard Video. We were using it for comparing video before and after our video optimization. And after the acquisition, you know, I was very excited to meet the developers of this tool, of this tool and tell them uh, how much we appreciate uh, this tool. You know, there are tools that cost thousands of dollars that you can buy to compare two videos side by side. And here you have a free tool for Windows and for Mac. And you can see the video side by side. You can see them in two separate windows. You have the nice butterfly view, which personally I like very much. I mean, it is a bit creepy because uh, one half of the video is flipped, but uh, it lets you uh, compare the different videos at small horizontal uh, d- distance. Yeah, and it them. even lets you drive to external displays that you could have side by side. So you could do something very similar to the ITU BT500. Having two TVs side by side, you could start one a little bit later than the other. So your eyes can look at one and then glance at the other, which is, let's say, a quarter second or half second behind and, and see what you just saw on the other display. It, it can scale video. I personally like the split view, which is uh, kind of over under with a wipe bar in the middle where you can hide or reveal more or less of, of the left or right version of the video. And you can play at full speed, but you can advance frame by frame or uh, play at different speeds and very closely examine everything. You can zoom in and out. It's quite an amazing tool for, for subjective comparison. It's pretty essential. I, most of our customers and people we work with in the industry sing the praises of Beam Review and say, absolutely, it's an essential part of my uh, video toolbox. We've even had um, some competitors get access as they're trying to improve their products. So it's, sure, I think sure. it's become a bit of a standard. I do want to tell listeners where they can go to get this. Just go to Beamer.com. Just go to our website and under products, there's a there's a Beamer view and then you can click a button, send us a request. It's, it's really, really straightforward. So Drawer, I I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about our experience using BT500 to validate perceptual quality with Beamer Optimizer. And um, that's a process that, you know, required considerable investment by us, but it also was what was needed to give us the confidence and, um, you know, and our, and our, our users, our clients, the assurance that when we say that it's a perceptually identical result, it really is. Maybe you can share just really quick what the BT500 process is and how we did that. Yeah, so we did uh, go through the whole BT500 uh, process. Luckily, we found a suitable lab. A friend of mine who ran an image sensor company already had the lab. In the BT500 standard, there is a very specific definition on um, what should be the color of the wall behind your monitor as you're watching the video. So it should be a very specific shade of gray. So they had that... uh, Walls already, they had those walls already painted in that specific shade of gray, and they had uh, 
calibrated monitors. That's also one of the requirements of BT500. And then you need to take a minimum of 15 subjects, 15 people, different ones. And uh, I think we actually took 24 or 25 people. We wanted to have better statistics. And the first thing you need to do, you need to test their vision. They need to have 20-20 vision, either naturally or corrected with, with eyeglasses. And uh, they also need to have correct uh, color vision. So we prepared these charts and we did these tests, you know, like like you do when you go to your eye doctor and we validated the uh, verified. Did you get to wear a lab coat? You know, you know white lab <laughs> we coat, didn't, you know, <laughs> Dr. We, Gill. We didn't, we didn't want to scare them, but we did have, you know, this nice rod where we point, okay, which letter is this, which letter is that? <laughs> That's great. So, so we tested that. We recorded that, of course, and uh, we tested the color blindness. And then we, we developed some software which um, executed the process according to the requirements of the standard. So you need to show one image or video and then show uh, you know, a few seconds of gray to erase the memory and, sh- and then show another and you need to repeat it a few times. And then the user has to choose which one looks better. The user cannot say they look the same. It's what's called the forced choice. So you have to make a choice. Now, if they do look the same, then obviously your choice is random. You can press whatever button you want, but you don't really have have a choice and, and results will, would be uh, random. So this is, for this case of the BMR Optimize, this is what we wanted to prove that videos before and after optimization look uh, exactly the same and images before and after with the JPEG mini algorithm look exactly the same. So we ran these tests and we let the users uh, select which one they think is better we also put some uh, test images inside, you know, to make sure people are not uh, cheating, where one was obviously much degraded relevant to the other. And if you missed those, it means, you know, we were just randomly pressing buttons and then we just uh, disqualify you. So we went through this process, you know, we advertised it on social networks. We gave some small prize to everybody who participated, you know, some friends and family. And uh, it's it's really a, a tedious process. You need, I mean, the logistics of getting it all together and organizing it and getting the sessions right, developing the software and all of that, you know, it's kind of a one-time process that you do, but really enables you to get the true picture, so to speak, in terms of what is the quality of, uh, of video for the algorithm or software that you are developing. Do we know of any service providers who have used BT500 testing in their process? Yeah, sure. The cable and satellite TV operators. I mean, I know this was developed by ITU, you know, the International Telecommunications Union. So it's a standard BT500 is. Yeah, I mean, we observe anecdotally, right, that the traditional video services, uh, the MSOs or, you know, multi-system operators, the cable satellite operators have typically gone about things in very structured ways and done measurements uh, to the standard cable labs, movie labs, SIMPTI organizations, research arms of those industries like to go about things in a very structured way. You know, the newer video service providers, uh, the web-based companies move fast and break things. And uh, so, but their quality, the video quality initially wasn't anywhere near what the traditional operators with uh, dedicated video networks could offer. And uh, nowadays, the quality of web streaming is is starting to rival and in some cases surpass traditional video services. 
So uh, you're seeing R&D teams uh, from large web video companies uh, do things more and more formally and, and, and taking an academic approach to, to video quality. That's right. Well, this is, an again, an awesome discussion. And, uh, you know, let's bring it to a close. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Tom, how can an organization, and I'm going to use the word addiction because, you know, uh, it, it feels like that, but, you know, how could someone who says, look, you know, we really are kind of addicted to objective, you know, to numbers and we get it. You know, at the end of the day, it's we use our eyes to view uh, quality, our, our users, our, our customers do. But, you know, we're still using PSNR scores and SSIM to, to, to make key decisions, you know, maybe even on which encoder to buy or which uh, Kodak implementation to use. Do you have any tips for, you know, how an organization could kind of break this addiction? And obviously, you know, going all the way to a BT500 testing methodology is a pretty big step. But any insights, you know, to share? Yeah, I I don't think you have to be overly formal or academic about your approach. But for God's sakes, look at the video. (laughs) <laughs> start by just looking at the just video. That's the video, right? Start. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going, trust your eyes. Look yeah, at the trust video. Trust your eyes. That's right. So if you're, if, if you're making a key decision and you said, I, I'm going to run a test, I'm going to do an encoder shootout, or I'm going to improve my recipe, and I'm going to do a test. So I'm going to choose a bunch of test clips or subsamples of uh, many different clips, and I'm going to run them at these different bit rates under these different settings on these machines. And I'm going to generate a whole bunch of encodes. And then I'm going to have a script that generates a bunch of objective quality scores and collates all of that. And, and I get some charts and graphs and I look at the results. My question to you is, did you validate those results by actually looking at the video? What you produced was a bunch of video and those results are telling you this video is better than that video. Is it really? Just take a look. It's not hard. And you can have a a small internal team independently. It could be five or six people who, and this could be blind, right? You could say, okay, I've got A and I've got B or ABC, and I will um, have one person put them in different folders, and and, uh, you don't know which codec produced which video. And now I'll have a group of other independent people take a look at the video and start to give some scores to say, are they the same? Is one better? How much better? And uh, just validate what that data is trying to tell you. And uh, you probably would be surprised if, if you were using PSNR, SSIM, or even VMAF to guide your decisions, you may be surprised by what some subjective analysis uh, comes back and tells you. That's great. Yeah, that, those are excellent tips. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Video Insiders. Again, if you would like to subscribe, you can go to thevideoinsiders.com. And uh, there you can stream inside the browser. You can listen on Spotify. You can subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Google Play. 
And this has been a production of Beamer Imaging Limited. If you're interested to learn more about what we do, go to beamer.com forward slash free, F-R-E-E, where you can get an absolutely free copy of Beamer Transcoder and you can use our HEBC codex and H264 codex and see what all the buzz is about. Until next time, have an awesome day and enjoy encoding video. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.